Inside Out with Nick Holt. listening to Inside Out. My name is Nick Holt and just a reminder that you can now find the program on iHeartRadio. That's at iHeartRadio.com as well as on iTunes and Spotify. Joining me on the phone in just a moment is Dr. Graham Pinn. Graham is a retired medical doctor from Queensland and a contributing author to the Australian newspaper, as well as being a prolific writer in his own time. Graham's written extensively on the topic of medicine and health, as well as Brexit, global warming, Black Lives Matter and freedom of speech, to name a few. Graham, I'd like to start with some words of yours that appeared recently in The Australian under a broader headline titled Catastrophists on Climate and Now covid We are sick of being lectured to day in, day out from people who have a guaranteed, reliable and consistent weekly income, almost always courtesy of the long-suffering taxpayer. They shout from the top of the mountain, lock down now, close the borders, don't congregate. Graeme, it does seem to be the people who have no skin in the game economically who are the ones advocating for what the rest of us might consider rather serious attacks on our liberties. I think uh, I think the uh, from the point of view of control and importance, that's certainly the case. The civil service and politicians both um, know how to big note themselves and increase their importance in the uh, social media, ignoring to a lot a large extent the economic and the medical consequences of their actions. So, as a medical doctor, what's your opinion on? the level of hysteria, the level of media hysteria around COVID-19 and the actual actual illness itself as it would be presented to a doctor? The the wonderful word which comes up in this sensationalist media regularly is unprecedented. And whether it's unprecedented bushfires, which weren't unprecedented, or unprecedented global warming, which isn't unprecedented, or in this case, unprecedented pandemics. And of course, those who who read history would know um, that this is not an unprecedented situation. Epipandemics have occurred throughout history. Uh, And from my own perspective, um, being a a medical doctor working in a hospital, I've seen a a fair few of them with severe flu, flu episodes going through hospitals. So we have to put that in the context as well. Unfortunately, the media do like a good sensation because that sells newspapers. And as a result of this, the level of angst in society has has gone up exponentially, particularly in in the elderly population, and I think totally unnecessarily so. And this allows then the people in authority, whether they're public servants or politicians, to assume control and to act as the guardians of the future. And that's potentially quite a scary future if this hysteria can be turned on and off perpetually. 
I think it is a, a, a scary future, and, and this is what the media have done. There's a, a lovely biblical allusion to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and uh, one of those four horsemen is the horseman with disease. And every time one of these horsemen disappears into the background, up pops another one to keep newspapers selling. So as this is starting to cool down now in Australia, we're starting to get a resurgence of the concerns about climate and cyclones and fires, all of which have very little in the way of evidence to support them. I mentioned this to Toby Young, who of course is a a vocal critic of lockdown in the UK. I asked him the question that, you know, they've been very good at building theoretical models to predict how many people are going to potentially, theoretically, may die from coronavirus, which we've found out they've made many mistakes in their predictions along the way. Yet there are no models predicting the potentially disastrous consequences of what will happen from this lockdown. What, why, why do you think the medical community is not engaged in that discussion publicly? I, I agree with you. It, it is concerning and uh, I think the, the greatest concern is and it will all become clear in the benefit of time when this epic pandemic is resolved but the, the greatest concern is there's such a diversity of medical opinions. There's no uniformity uh, from one state to the next. The, the instructions that are apparently given according to the politicians seem to be totally at variance and and very often seem to have no common sense attached to them. Uh, I I agree, Toby Young talks a lot of sense and there's been a recent um, study, Australian study by Dr Martin Lally, who is an economist again, showing similar sort of statistical numbers relating to the economics a huge cost of, uh, I think there was a figure around the bread of something like three quarters of a million dollars per average year of life saved by the economical shutdowns that we've had. And that's a massive sum which is difficult to justify when the um, death rate in from this pandemic, albeit with good luck, uh, is a thousand so far in a year. And that compares quite typically with the average flu season. And the the numbers that we diagnose with the illness uh, obviously relate to the amount of testing that is done. And for a flu season, testing is rarely done to anything like this same scale. So we really still don't know uh, in this country whether this is worse than a severe flu. And to have uh, medical people supporting the sort of concepts that have been supported with, with little evidence is disturbing. I find it disturbing not only from the economic point of view, but from the medical viewpoint that wearing of masks is a strategy which has very little evidence to support it. The um, concepts of treatment uh, have also been hugely distorted by political interference. And if I can give you the the old chestnut example of um, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, which ex-President Trump supported and which was because of that poo-pooed, The latest surveys, and there have been something like 200-odd clinical trials using these substances, uh, confirms that they do have some significant benefit when used early in the disease and reduce the death rate. So the medical side of things is is in as much disarray, I think, as the um, political and economic side of things. Where's the WHO been throughout all of this? 
WHO, I think, has been missing in action. I wrote an article about that to the Australian. They were very slow to uh, advise what uh, support what Australia did with shutting down borders, which has proved to be our saviour in this country as compared with other countries. Uh, even now, they're they're fiddling around in in China a year after the over a year after the origin of this virus, trying to find its origin, and obviously. Whatever evidence there might have been will have been well and truly concealed by now. The World Health Organization, I think, is a, is a political structure which um, has very little to offer and, and sadly has very little to offer in, in pandemic control. And this was actually pointed out to them when we had the previous um, parallel um, coronavirus outbreaks with SARS and MERS a few years back, but they were totally unprepared in terms of a strategy uh, and that unpreparedness has been very much in, in evidence uh, in the current epidemic. I just want to take it back to the flu for a second because on May 27 in 2019, I wrote a story and the headline was record deaths predicted for 2019 flu season. The total number predicted was 4,000 people. That's 10 deaths a day. Why didn't they report on the flu with the same hysteria that they're doing with COVID? In real terms, as I, I mentioned, the uh, death rate from coronavirus has been no worse than the average flu season in this country. And to be fair, that is because we shut down the borders at a very early stage, and that was one of the most sensible and uh, financially uh, challenging but sensible options to do there. And there have been one or two others, like social distancing, um, that uh, obviously have made an enormous difference. But uh, again, if you were to attack that flu season by shutting everything down like we've done this, while the country would be bankrupt, and uh, it may well still prove to be bankrupt, the nail in the coffin of the Australian economy. The nail in the coffin of bodies too. I mean, this is going to—it's going to have a horrific Literal. impact. For sure, and, and it is interesting now that the numbers are starting to come in that uh, there have been um, increases in uh, self-harm in the young, increases in suicide, and there have been increases in domestic violence. So these are all spin-offs of this dire approach that's been forced upon us, that plus um, the lack of medical attention to other pressing matters. I expect we will see uh, uh, death rate rise as a result of these uh, activities that the politicians and medics have introduced. The bizarre thing is there's such a political dichotomy at the moment in terms of left and right, us and them, in terms of how the media portrays things. And certainly we, we mentioned briefly about the people you were talking about, the ones that are shouting from the rooftops, just wear the mask, etc. They're willingly going along with this level of short-sighted stupidity really from governments that have only you know a few years to think about they want to get re-elected so they're not thinking long term are they well we know that we're going to be paying for this for a generation and uh, the, the debt that's built up so that has to be put in context and i mentioned the, the the cost per year of life saved which is something like seven times what the uh, medicare authorities would say it's worth to save a year of life so we've already gone way over budget in terms of managing this situation mm. There's going to be a further sort of retraction of uh, freedom and, and, and the bill is going to keep on going up. I, I think it's hugely disturbing. It is hugely disturbing and there's this abundant wellspring of fear that this virus is causing. 
and it doesn't seem to be completely tied to symptoms and possible treatment, but rather this incessant sensationalist melodrama that's being circulated 24-7 by, in my opinion, an objectively unethical media. And I believe that it all began when we saw videos from Wuhan, in particular those videos of terrified Chinese being dragged from their apartments by so-called doctors in almost military hazmat suits. Now, once that was that footage was disseminated through the West, that's when the fear set in, and it set in quickly. Consciously or unconsciously, I don't know. But I think it's that fear that's now driving a kind of hard paternalism that we've never seen before from an Australian government and perhaps never imagined we would see. You're, you're quite right there. It, it, it is concerning. And, and it seems the more control they have, paradoxically, the greater their electorate seem to enjoy it. And you probably read about the Stockholm syndrome where people who have been kidnapped and deprived of everything once the things they've been deprived of start coming back again. They are so proud of them and grateful to their captors. Mm. This is the same sort of phenomenon that's certainly happening in Victoria. Anyhow, they seem to be uh, hugely impressed by the fact he's given them back part of the freedoms that they used to have normally. I think the social media also has a lot to answer in, in terms of, apart from spreading distress, it's also um, a problem in terms of spreading rumours and spreading innuendo and you know there have been all sorts of conspiracy theories going on relating to uh, this virus and I briefly mentioned Craig Kelly who's currently in the firing line at the moment so he's I think quite reasonable comments about wearing masks not achieving much and um, his comments about treatment with chloroquine uh, and he is now being pilloried for saying things which actually have some substance to them but because they're against the politically correct view, he's, he's getting hammered in the way of modern social media. So this is another aspect of the freedom of speech aspect, I think, is another aspect which is sadly being affected by the uh, concern that everybody has. Yeah, that's right. And that's why there's no real window for wisdom because there's no window for rigorous intellectual public debate about the consequences of what we're doing. So if you try and have those conversations, you're called a denier. So the, the, the level of, of kind of, for lack of a better word, at least control through language is extraordinary. It is. And as I said, it, it, it's going to be what comes next as this settles down. We'll be back into the uh, global warming climate change debate with the same sort of uh, approach from many parts of the media and from the, certainly from the social media too. It's or, a concern for the future. Or will COVID be blamed on um, climate change? Well, they tried that one, didn't they? Yeah, Did it's, they? An interesting, it's an interesting double. I yeah. didn't hear that. <laughs> I, think, I think they've actually tried to do that, as, as they've uh, tried to do so many things like uh, cyclones and uh, uh, sea level rises and so on that don't really make sense when you look at the statistics. Speaking of statistics, another thing that we don't have, we, we talk about the media being able to lie through both commission and omission. We don't have any information on who these people are that have died from COVID, right, in terms of yep. whether they had comorbidities or cancer or 
I, I'm not saying that there's a big conspiracy there at all, but it'd be I think it'd be beneficial to look at that because I'm talking I'm coming from a position here of trying to kind of calm people down a bit. Yes, X number of people have died, but X number had all these comorbidities, so keep calm. They're not doing that. They, they know that the fear is selling. Totally agree with you. We really don't know what the death rate is. Um, it seems to be worldwide, something like 2% of cases, but we don't know in that number how many cases are occur but are, are not diagnosed. And as you say, how many people who have died who would have died anyhow but because they've had a recent infection, they're labelled as such. So the numbers are all very rubbery on both sides and we don't still know whether it's worse than a, a bad flu. And if you go back to the old favourite of the Spanish flu, um, um, there were 50 million deaths and Certainly, we've we've uh, been going for a year, and there's nothing like I think two millions the latest account, which is a lot of people. But as we say, we don't. We, as you say, we don't actually know what that two million death rate means in terms of uh, the disease itself. We are fortunate that we have um, um, some old-fashioned treatments like aspirin and steroids, which uh, seem to work for the seriously ill. Uh, uh, and the vaccines are now uh, sort of coming online. So we, we've probably got the rest of this year to see, see out, but uh, in the rest of this year, the economics will still be uh, even more threatening if, if we have to keep stop-starting as we've done. Well, that's the problem now is that they have the f- they, they've taken control. We didn't push back, so they've, got, they've already taken that first. You know, they've moved a, a line up the chessboard so to speak, in terms of control control over us. So they can really just, all they need to do is announce another mutant strain, one case, and we're locked down again. Yep, and it's, it's the debt building up even more so, isn't it? Uh, but in individual terms, as well as the, uh, the big ticket items for the taxpayer to cover ultimately. There's just so little objectivity. And as I said, ultimately with... Uh, the retrospectoscope in a year's time, we will find the true cost, both uh, medical, financial and social. But at the moment, um, there are a lot of different opinions as to the right way to manage this situation. And my view, anyhow, is that we've um, over-managed. Uh, our main contributions were to shut the borders early and to deal with social distancing. Both of those have been highly effective in controlling and the lockdowns, the uh, masks, the spraying of surfaces, I'm not sure whether any of those have contributed a great deal. And, and if you are actually going to look at masks, then um, the, the concept of masks, uh, all masks are not the same. And uh, the paper mask, which a lot of people wear, um, are primarily intended to deal with bacterial infection. They have no effect on viruses anyhow. Um, so there's a whole lot of misinformation going on, and they continue to force mandatory wearing of masks when there is very little evidence that achieves anything. So a whole range of things which with hindsight we will look at and uh, wonder whether it was all necessary. Certainly when we get the bill, I think we'll wonder considerably. You were talking about statistics. We know that statistics can prove really whatever you want to, but ultimately when all the numbers have cleared, then uh, we will know what the true statistics were all about. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's a, an appropriate place to, to leave it. I anticipate having you back on to talk about some things that are completely different. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, you, 
you write on a wide range of topics and there, there are plenty that I'd like to sink my teeth into. But I Could, could I just uh, add one small note at the end, if I may, please? Sure. Uh, I'm a retired doctor now, but uh, my, my working environment, uh, and it involved me with a lot of infectious diseases in hospital work, so I feel that I've got some sort of um, pedigree to discuss some of these matters rather than just being another commentator. There have been so many commentators who are talking from ignorance. And when I first got going, I um, was reminded of this when standing outside our local fish and chip shop uh, getting my order. And every man and his dog knew how to manage coronavirus. So things have changed a great deal since <laughs> that time. I, agree, I completely agree. Yeah, you are qualified and that's why it was um, important to, to have you on and talk about this um, and there'll be more to come. Thanks very much, Dr. Pin. Thank you for your call. Cheers, Nick. Bye-bye. Bye. Inside Out with Nick Holt. If you'd like to listen to all the previous episodes of Inside Out, you can do so by visiting iHeartRadio, Spotify or iTunes and simply typing in Inside Out with Nick Holt.